Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Bit of a vulgar quote that goes this way. Comfort is a drug. Once you get used to it, it becomes addicting. Give a weak man consistent sex, good food, cheap entertainment, and he'll throw his ambitions right out the window. The comfort zone is where dreams go to die. Good morning, <laughs> right? Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here. Although you might not feel that quote is like a warm welcome, we actually are truly happy that you're here checking out a service. It's actually our cozy Sunday, we're calling it. I know today's start is like anything but cozy, like it's not cozy at all. Um, but the message will not be cozy at all, but we hope that you can stick around after the service and enjoy our cozy Sunday with some s'mores and hot chocolate and just the fun things out there and connect with someone new as you're here. Now back to that quote though. I have no idea who Chris Johnson is, but if you are like me, this quote hits you hard. Because who here doesn't like comfort? We all do, right? We all like comfort. I mean, we have a whole food group known as comfort food, right? Which are the best foods. Who likes comfort foods? All right, I need more participation. Who likes comfort foods? This is practice. I want to see like what are some of your favorite comfort foods? Yell them out. I have a couple pictures. Mac and cheese. I think we got that one. I think we got that one. Yes. All right. What else? Stew. Stew. Uh, chili. Ooh. You didn't, uh, we're not on the same wavelength. What else? Anything else? Ice cream. Oh. Pizza. Biscuits and gravy. Come on now, people. Casseroles. Brats. Chips and salsa. Oh, comfort food. At least those are, to me, uh, comfort foods. These are all quite delicious, right? Comfort foods are delicious, yet none of them are really healthy per se. They don't really help anyone with an ambition to have a nutrient-rich diet, a fit lifestyle, or even healthiness. For me, I think the lack of comfort I've experienced being a father of two now has created a desire for more comfort food, as those literally are every meal at our house these days which is where the dad bods come from, I realize. So, but needless to say, we like comfort. We like comfort food. We like comfortable homes. We like comfy cars. We like comfy lifestyles, comfy clothes, comfy workplaces. And none of these things are wrong. They're amazing, actually. And comfort is amazing. But the reason comfort is dangerous and the reason dreams die with it is you know those times, those times you found yourself thinking, I'm just going to watch one football game today and then still not wanting to get off the couch after watching two. Or those times you found yourself like just sleeping in past your alarm when you are thinking, I'm going to get up and work out or study. Or you lay in that lazy boy taking a 20-minute nap, and you're like, I got, I'm going to do the house projects then. And then two hours later, you're still in the lazy boy. Or you just choose to stay home instead of be a part of that club, doing that, that big thing that you were so excited about, but right now you're just comfy. We all choose to not do things we know we should or ultimately desire because of comfort. Comfort makes it easy for us to say yes to lust and staying put. And it's easy to say no to things that are out of our typical routine, like that new idea you have, that inclination to serve, that attempt to change your ways, your diet, your habits, your fitness, that thought to maybe help that person out consistently, that idea to lead instead of follow, that desire to maybe go to church and be a part of a life group or something of the sort. 
that discussion you know you need to have with their friend to make things right. It's so easy in the moment to say, nah, nah, I'm good, I'm out, I'm tired, it'll be fine. You've been there, right? I mean, I know I have. I used to be up for big adventures. I used to be willing to put myself out there to meet new people. I used to join new groups and make community commitments. I used to commit to helping and being a part of other people's schedule and routine. But in the last few years, I've dialed into the work I'm doing, the family life I have, the house we're in, the lifestyle we're in. And to be honest, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I'm feeling just fine where I'm at, and I don't want to make any drastic changes to it because it takes work, it's a risk, it's uncomfortable, and it just sounds tiring. Again, have you been there? Comfortable. So much so that it stopped you from doing the things that you think really matter in your mind. If so, you can relate to this next person we're studying in our series, Walk This Way. So far in this series, we've studied Mary Magdalene, and then we've also studied Peter, Simon Peter, last week. Uh, This week, it's Nicodemus. Uh, If you know nothing about him or you've never really heard of him other than maybe a a name you've read in the Bible a time or two or maybe never even heard that name before, if that's you, today's going to be a great day because you're going to learn pretty much everything about Nicodemus that we can know about him. Throughout the series, what we've been doing, though, is we've been looking to the Bible to learn about the early followers of Jesus and trying to learn how they got to actually doing that, to making a real decision to follow him, like physically, to help us then know how we can do it as well, especially if we can identify with their personality. Because if you thought, I don't think I could follow Jesus fully with my personality or with with how I'm wired, I'm too bad or I'm too headstrong or I'm, I'm too comfortable in my ways or I'm just not the religious type. If that's you, No, you're not alone, and this series is meant to show you you are probably more like the early followers of Jesus than you think. As part of this message series, though, we're also showing some scenes from The Chosen. It's a TV show to help paint a picture of what it actually looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, one who followed him. I think watching season one of The Chosen, it really could help you in your walk with Jesus. You definitely don't have to watch it to engage with the sermons on Sundays. It's just this extra thing available to you. But before you maybe consider watching it or continue watching it, each week I do throw out a bit of a disclaimer because this show is an entertaining drama. So there are creative elements added to it. They are trying to stay true to the Bible, but there are backstories and creative elements that you just need to verify in your Bible before you commit to believing them. With all this said, today we're talking about Nicodemus. When we look to the Bible in the book of John, we can learn a number of things about him to start. It starts in John 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a Pharisee, is Nicodemus. Now, if you've read the Bible before, you've noticed there are a lot of different religious titles and names for different people in there, all of which basically get bad raps from Jesus, but they're kind of hard to follow, right? Like, who's who, and what's, what is a Pharisee, and what's a Sadducee, and all that. It's kind of hard to follow and keep track of who's who and who does what. So here's a little rundown, a little nerd out for you, of the different type of religious leaders in the Bible that it mentions. The first one would be the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme authority. It's made up of the best religious officials. Uh, then there's the chief priests, political office that would maybe be like a governmental office that uh, would probably be a Levite in the Bible. They were designated to be priests, but they're like the chief priests amongst everybody. 
Then there's the Sadducees, which is a religious group, a bit more strict in their beliefs, kind of like if like I was trying to compare it to something, kind of maybe like like kind of like how the Catholics are. That that's how they're kind of structured. They have very tra- strong traditions. And then there's the Pharisees, which is another religious group, but a bit less strict. Uh, leaders live a little bit more with their people. They're still a religious leader, but I would say they're kind of like a little less strict, like a Lutheran leaders maybe would look like. Now these are the groups of people, and they kind of have a hierarchy of like who's in charge of what, and the Sanhedrin is like the top. Now, in addition to knowing that, it's important to know religious leaders back then were like everything back then, because being a religious leader basically meant you'd be like the police officer of your town, it meant you were also probably like a pastor, it means you're probably also like a senator, and you're basically like a judge, all mixed into one. So yeah, There's a lot of power and a lot of influence on these religious leaders. Now, sorry about my Bible nerd out if that seems boring to you. But now if we go back to Nicodemus, who our verse says is a Pharisee, he's also really special as a person because he's also part of the Sanhedrin, again, the supreme authority. So he's a really big deal. We see this through John 7.50. He's at a Sanhedrin meeting, and it says he was one of them. Being this comes immense wealth, immense respect, influence, and power. If anyone was holding an elite status, it would be him. Yet in all his bouginess or whatever, Nicodemus seems some, he sees some of Jesus' early on ministry, and he sees some of his miracles, and he's curious about it. Check out how they portray him seeing a miracle in The Chosen. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise up and walk. (laughs) Nicodemus is intrigued, but he's no dummy. He's no dummy. Back in his time, it wasn't uncommon for someone to maybe make claims to be a Messiah or to start a new religious movement or to even know how to perform illusions for some people to maybe think that they were on the things. Yet something real is there that just keeps Nicodemus curious. Nicodemus knows his curiosity, it's dangerous, and it's going to disrupt his comfort because he's got his beliefs figured out. He's part of the stinking Sanhedrin, right? The top of the top. If someone finds out that him, someone in his high position, does something so lowly like think that that hippie could be the Messiah, he could lose everything. And again, he's content as a leader. He's made it. Why would he change? He's comfortable. You've been there before, right? Like, you've had the new job potential, like, lingering, of, and it could be exactly what we're looking for, but you're kind of comfortable where you're at. You have some ideas to maybe make family life better, but uh, you're kind of comfortable with how things are going. You have this interest in faith more seriously than ever before, but you're comfy, like, not pursuing it. You have this desire to do more in the world for others, or serve at a church, or a shelter, or be a missionary, or start a ministry, but you're comfortable. It takes risk of your current comfort and your flexible schedule to pursue those. Again, if we go back to our quote, comfort is a drug 
Once you get used to it, it becomes addicting. And addictions are hard to break. Talk to anyone who's gone through recovery. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, though, the curiosity of Jesus is something that just doesn't escape his mind. Have you ever had something like this happen before? Like, this new idea is just consuming all of your thoughts. Like, you find yourself up late thinking about it, researching it, planning around it, playing, playing all the scenarios out in your mind. The fun things I've been doing like that with lately is uh, kiteboarding. I'm really interested in kiteboarding. I want to kiteboard. It sounds awesome. I'm trying to figure out, I have the stuff. I'm trying to find someone to train us and like, just learn all the details that, so I can do kiteboarding. But I've yet to do it. Uh, I've also done that like with a solar system for our van. You, some of you have heard we have a sprinter van and like I'm changing the solar system. I want to make it a little bit better and I'm like researching and studying it, but I've yet to do something about it. Now these are a little bit superficial. They're fun things for me, but if I'm a little bit more real with you, I'm also thinking about like getting healthy again. Like physically and mentally, like planning the workout, planning eating healthy. Uh, I research and think about like what routine I should do, what I should wear, what I should, what I should buy for that, but still not actually doing it. Another big one that I've been thinking a ton about lately is trying to find a core group of friends that I can openly talk about faith and where I'm at with it in my faith. One that keeps me accountable to doing things that allow me to pursue Christ more. I think about these things. But I still am not doing the things that I think are necessary to make it happen. Like, be vulnerable with others, or invite people over, or depend on them for things. I want these, but I'm still comfortable enough without them, which makes me ask, am I just thinking about it, or am I actually going to make it real? I think this is similar to Nicodemus. Scripture says in John that Nicodemus, he moved forward actually with his inclination, with his curiosity, and he got a bit uncomfortable. He came to speak with Jesus at night. This is worth noting that he came at night because it shows that Nicodemus was afraid and nervous to be seen visiting Jesus in broad daylight. John 3, 2 through 3, it says, After dark one evening, he came to Jesus, or he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. This is actually a huge statement from him. He's saying he believes he has been sent by God, that Jesus has been sent by God. Check out how the Chosen portrays this scene. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. Not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. 
You can see there's confusion for Nicodemus, the top religious leader. There's confusion for him. I mean, where is Jesus going with this? Here's what he says next. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The scripture on this is in John 3, verses 5 through 12. It says this, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe, but how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? To nerd out with you a little bit on this, to give you kind of my interpretation on this, as it's hard to understand. It's hard for Nicodemus to understand. But what Jesus is doing is he's correcting the religious system and he's teaching Nicodemus on who God accepts. Back then, Jewish assumption was that their birth, their nationality as a Jew assured them a place in God's kingdom. Yet Jesus is making the statement that a man's birth does not assure him of salvation. Only being born again, as in choosing to have a life that has faith in our need for Jesus, because we know only through his life and living our new chosen life in faith with him is what saves us. I'm guessing it's still a little confusing for you, as it is for me to understand. And you see it was for Nicodemus. So Jesus talks about the wind with him. He says, you don't understand everything about the wind, but you see its effects. That is how it is with the birth of the Spirit. You don't totally get it, he says, but you see the effects. And Jesus is saying the same with putting faith into him. It might not make complete sense yet to you, but you see it and you feel the effects of it. Check out this last scene of the dialogue. Sensation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin from spiritual death. God loves the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about Sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith. I love how at the end they show a person, and that person's John, which is all the verses we're reading right now, writing what he hears, just as we're reading it today. 
But Jesus, he shows that we might not understand it all, but we feel it. We sense the effects of what he's doing. I don't know about you, but, but I've felt it, and I've sensed the effects of what Jesus is doing today. Like, Jesus' way of caring for all people, I feel it. It's absolutely what's best. Jesus' way of forgiveness for all, no matter what, is exciting. Is I've been someone who's messed up a ton. Jesus' push to give up the material for something eternal, it makes sense. I see it as what's needed. I feel it. Have you felt these things before? When you sense these effects of what God is doing and desires from us, are you responding to it the way God wants? Now, what we just covered so far is kind of all we get from that dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. If you're Nicodemus, though, if you put yourself in that situation, what would you do with that? Again, you're, you're this respected leader. You're one who's seen some of Jesus' miracles. You're kind of interested in what he's doing. You believe he's sent by God. But then what? What do you do? I mean, it's the same question for us today. Whether you're a religious leader, a serious Christian, or just someone curious about God, you've seen some stuff, you've heard some things, you've felt some tugs from Jesus' ways, and when you do, you have an opportunity for a response. You can affirm it and follow. You can deny it. You can stay the same and, and be silent, which is also a decision. Ignorance is a decision. No decision is a decision. What's your decision with what you've experienced with Jesus? How the Chosen portrays Nicodemus' next steps here after this conversation is a bit imaginative, but I think it's worth for us to think about ourselves kind of being in his shoes. Check it out. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, and you'll see more. Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. Follow me. Now, this is not in Scripture. We don't know if Jesus literally called Nicodemus to follow him. Whether Jesus called him or not, though, others who believed in Jesus still followed. We saw that in Mary, like Mary followed Jesus. She wasn't called by him, but she followed him. So Nicodemus, whether called or not, he could have followed Jesus, but we don't hear about him doing that in Scripture. If you were Nicodemus, in this situation, could you follow Jesus? I try to be real as possible with you on stage. You would never know this about me unless I shared this with you out loud right now, but I think it'll be helpful, but it's raw. As a dad, a husband, middle-class man, I'm an educated pastor, I have good respect, success in my field, my needs are met, I'm comfortable. If I got asked by Jesus today to follow him the way they portray him asking Nicodemus, to follow with the expectations of the other disciples, I don't think I could say yes. I am, and I would be so entranced by the opportunity to do it, I'd be thinking about it nonstop. I would desire it. I'd dream about it. But when it came time to leave and actually follow Jesus, I think I'd be like Nicodemus.
This should be everyone. Everyone's here? Yes, this is all of us. Is there anyone else? Look at this. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Gold. A friend of mine left that for us. It's enough for two weeks of food and lodging. has hit me harder than any other scene ever. Because in my mind, I want to follow Jesus fully in that way. I desire it. I'd love to go back in time and witness it all and be there right with him. But if I was Nicodemus, I don't know if I could. I don't think I could leave my comfort. I don't think I could leave my family situation, my respect, my control, my material, my desires. Could you? All right, so enough with like the guilting bad news, Aaron, right? Like, what do we do with this, right? What do we do with this if we feel this way? How do we combat this? How do we get ourselves to say yes to a call like that? How do we break out from our comfortability and choose to follow Jesus instead? I think there are some things that we can do that Jesus teaches, actually. And the first one is this. Don't let comfort get too much control. Comfort, it's defined as this, uh, a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. In life, it's so easy to let comfort be what you pursue as your priority, right? For some reason, as I was thinking about this, all week long, uh, the song Good, Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous by Good Charlotte kept coming to mind. Here's a little clip from it. When the song was popular, I was singing in like my teenage angst, like those rich people who have nice houses and cars and cash and clothes and me and my hand-me-downs. Yet if I reflect on my life now, like 20 years later of where I'm at today, I'm now the one pursuing those things. I like those things. I work hard for those things. And I now complain about those things too. Has anybody complained about egg prices lately? Or eating out? Or car prices? Or mortgage rates? Like, I mean, like, this is all you can get these days. I'm complaining about these because it's disrupting my comfort. My comfort of what I can buy and what I can own. Comfort is what I pursue, and lack of comfort is what I complain about. Don't let comfort be your God. God should be your God. When you're rich or have power or have influence, like Nicodemus, it usually comes with comfort. Don't let it get too much control of your life. We see it's addicting in the quote we started with, and we've all experienced it and desire it at times. Well, Jesus, he taught about this. Someone who's, who was planning to follow Jesus asked, what should I do next, Jesus, to keep getting closer to you? And Jesus says this, Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I really like that ending. Jesus is saying, in reality, it's not possible for humans to be saved and enter the kingdom of God, no matter what they do, unless they are with God. You need God to get in the kingdom of God or salvation one day. You will never be able to be perfect on your own, including being perfect in not letting your comfort control even just part of you. So with that, to not let riches consume you, you need to take some of Jesus' advice. Sell, give, store up treasures in heaven, not here on earth. Change your mindset from only pursuing comfort for yourself to also pursuing comfort for others. Sure, you might not be able to give like all of it up right this second, but what can you give up today? That starts you on the path of pursuing godliness versus comfort. What can you do today? For you, is it maybe just starting with donating versus hoarding? Like, I think I literally have a hundred t-shirts in my closet. Like a hundred t-shirts. I do not need a hundred t-shirts, right? But I want that shirt, that one shirt, because like if my painting shirt is like dirty, I need like an extra painting shirt. And then if I can't find that one, I want an extra, right? Like we have like backups to the backups to the backups. Well, what if we didn't do that? What if we just donated and gave up a bit of our comfort from hoarding things? For you, maybe today that, that's what you can do, but maybe for you it's, it's with giving money instead of spending it on extra pleasures. What, what if you declare you're working more to give more money to others versus that extra vacation? Maybe for you it's, it's, it's caring for the needy at a time that could be where you're watching the game instead, but you serve. Maybe for you it's that action that you just feel you need to do, like, but it, it's going to wreck some of your comfort with your finances, your family dynamic, or your friendships, or your influence. What can you do today to start and give up some of your comfort to show yourself it does not have control over you? I actually, I really struggle with this, to be honest. Um, I'll go through times where I say, I'm not going to have coffee today. It never goes well. never goes well. Or... I'm not going to buy anything on Amazon this week. That doesn't go well either. I'm not going to eat sweets, or I'm not going to go on social media, or I'm not going to have a drink this week. And it's embarrassing to say, it's really hard sometimes. All those are comforts to me. You're doing the spiritual practice of what's called fasting, giving up something for a while to fully depend on God when you're craving that comfort. It's meant to reset your dependency. It's meant to reset your addictions. So when you yearn or crave or desire that specific thing, instead of just resorting to the continuous cycle of you comforting yourself through these, these pleasures, you pray and you go to God for your comfort. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to know that there are some things that you're craving and th- those things that you're craving have control over you. Maybe you need to fast from one of those things for a day or for a week or for, for some time. What's that thing you need to do that for? The second thing that I think we can learn from Nicodemus and from Jesus' teachings to him is you need to move with the Spirit. 
Move with the Spirit. Jesus specifically said, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, he felt it. He felt this thing. He felt God's Spirit like the wind. He knew God was up to something big. And he could have been a part of it, right? If you're experiencing a tug like that, or this constant thought, or this constant idea, or this desire, or this thing that you just feel is desirable or honorable to God, don't sit on it. Move with it. That movement doesn't have to be this giant step right away. It can start by just telling someone about it. It could then be observing it from afar, or maybe trying it a time or two, or taking one step closer to it. But if it seems legit, keep going. Nicodemus did some of these, right? He observed, he met with Jesus. Later on in John, actually, we see that he tries to stand up for Jesus with the Sanhedrin. In John 7, verses 50 to 52, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And the conversation stops. He doesn't continue on. He stopped being with Jesus after that meeting, too, you saw in in the evening. Initially, he stopped standing up for Jesus because it got uncomfortable. And it got inconvenient for him. Even though he knew there's something amazing about Jesus. Don't let this be the case for you. There's a quote that says this. It's Les Brown. The graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cues or the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take that first step, keep with the problem, or determined to carry out their dream. Moving forward with what the Spirit maybe is prompting with you, it's going to get uncomfortable. Especially if it's something that, that is innovative or life-changing or helpful or life-giving or recovering or transformative or caring. All these things, they must move from a current state to a different state. And movement is always uncomfortable. Will you push through? Will you be uncomfortable? Or will you, will you not allow that tug to keep you moving forward? For you today, will you move with the Spirit? by getting uncomfortable, by maybe inviting someone to church. Maybe it's getting uncomfortable by sharing your faith or standing up for someone or serving even if it means giving up some of your freedom or flexibility. Maybe it's being a part of a church that you see growing, you see it doing amazing things, but it's maybe not your your perfect preference. Maybe Maybe you're providing for a need that's consistent instead of what's desired of you. Which leads to our last thing. The last thing that we can see and learn from Nicodemus is submit and attempt to follow Jesus daily. This whole series that we've been doing here at church has basically been about submission. I don't think anyone would come to this series if I titled it, Submit to Jesus, right? No one really like loves a title or the word submit. But it ultimately is what Jesus wanted from Mary we saw, from Peter we saw this, Nicodemus, and now you. Luke 9, 23-25, it says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus, the God of the universe, is trying to tell us there's more to life than our comfort. Life is being a disciple. 
It's one who gives up their own way and sets it on following him. If you do that, you will experience life as it should be. It's a sacrifice, a sacrifice of comfort, but it's a choice that you must make. Have you committed to that? There's one more section of Nicodemus in the Bible, and then we're wrapping up here. And I'd love to say, like, the wrap-up of the sermon is like, oh, great, it's a happy ending. Nicodemus started following Jesus. But I I can't share that because that's not what's in the Bible. What we can see what happens with Nicodemus at the end is this. It says in Nicodemus, also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Nicodemus, he shows some care for Jesus. He shows some respect after his death. Whether he finally said, I am all in with Jesus or not, we just don't know. But you can know for sure about you. Jesus isn't one that's stingy. He'll take you even though you've said no in the past or you've messed up a gazillion times after maybe saying yes to him. He knows it's humanly impossible to give up all your comfort without God. But will you choose to come on a journey to follow God so that he can help you? I'm going to pray that we do that. If you want God to help you do that, to kind of give up your comfort and continue to submit and follow Jesus, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us a a clear example of how, how hard it is to give up comfort. God, we don't want to be like Nicodemus. We don't want to not choose to follow you. God, we want to follow follow you. We want to submit to you. So God, help us be able to give up some of our comforts. Give up some of our comforts and be a follower of you. Help us do that well this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.